Look on the bright side. Let's get drunk. Welcome to this week's edition of the NinersNation.com Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar Aparicio, and this week, Joel Klatt is an absolute revelation on that NFL Net broadcast. Can Reggie Wayne just announce all the picks? Because he was freaking amazing, and with me for the second time in as many days, still filling out his office Game of Thrones death pool, it's David <laughs> Newman. Hello. How are you? David, we did not cancel the show. No, no, surprisingly. We did not finish a growler of beer. For those that initiated, that's two whole liters, one liter a human, in the course of 20 minutes. I was going to say, we, no, we definitely finished the We growler. definitely finished yeah, it. And, and now over. we're on our, uh, our auxiliary beers. Yeah. Uh, and, but we're here. We did not draft a tackle. But, We've always got that. At least there wasn't an offensive lineman in there. But, but, you know, maybe we drafted a wide receiver that may as well play tackle because he can apparently play every position. We'll get there in a minute. First, let's get to the 36th pick in the NFL draft because with that pick, the 49ers selected Debo Samuel, wide receiver, out of South Carolina. And was there any pick perhaps more expected than Debo Samuel for the 49ers? Maybe only... Nick Bosa to the 49ers in, in round one. Absolutely right. I think in our pre-draft preview, we had three players in the separator category. Isabella was probably a little too small. Riley Ridley didn't have the athletic profile. But Debo Samuel, man, he ticked all the boxes. And Shanahan loves players that can separate, catch the ball, and run after the catch. And Debo Samuel can do all those things. So for the uninitiated, we're going to do a scouting report on the 49ers draft picks. We're going to start with Debo Samuel. We're going to get to the athletic profile, the production of these players. We're going to talk about their limitations, where they win, and their potential impact. And so let's start with Debo. Athletic profile. David, hit me. So he's actually compares, you know, this is something we talked a little bit about uh, in the pre-draft episodes, but compares uh, quite similarly to Pierre Garçon um, in, in a lot of ways. So, I mean, I think overall uh, a really good athlete, 76 percentile spark score. Um, so, again, not by the super high-end crazy athlete, but d- definitely very much. Uh, you know, in the upper half of NFL athletes at wide receiver. Uh, and I think that's something that does show up on tape. You see uh, the quickness, you know, in, in his route running ability and the, the ability to separate there. But you also see, you know, that four four eight speed when he does have the ball in his hands and, and he's looking to hit that extra gear and separate and create some big plays uh, with the ball in his hands. So I think everything that you see there uh, looks really good. Yeah, and so when you look at his uh, his short shuttle time of 4.14, was the fifth fastest in at the combine, and that generally bodes well because Shanahan loves players that can separate, and Debo Samuel can do that. His short shuttle time, his short area quickness uh, proves that. But when you look at the comparison to someone like Pierre Garçon, you look at their physical comp and you look at their combine or testing numbers. They're both 5'11". They're both around 210. They both have about 31-inch arms. Garçon ran a 4.4240. Debo ran a 4.48. If you look at their 10-yard splits, Garcon ran a 1-5 flat, Debo ran a 1-5-6, Garcon had a 36-inch vertical, Debo had a 39, so he's a little bit more explosive. Garcon ran a 4.19 short shuttle, Debo 4-1-4, so he's a little quicker in the short area. I mean, you you just go down the line at their physical comps, and they're they're carbon copies of each other, with Garcon, I think, being a little faster straight line, but Debo may be a little better in short area. 
Yeah, I think that's probably the key, especially, you know, young Garcon, you know, as we've talked about before, could could get down the field more and could be uh, more of a big play threat on kind of vertical routes. I don't think that uh, Debo is quite that guy, but we'll kind of save that for the uh, later section for where he wins. And he's built like a running back. You look at his mock draftable comp and it's Ty Montgomery. Another famous running back to wide receiver to running back to wide receiver prospect. Uh, and he, I mean, he is built, as my Australian friend would, shit, would say, like a brick shithouse. So he, he's, he's a big dude. He's built like a running back and he runs like it too. Right. And I think the, you know, so kind of moving on to the next area, uh, he also produced at a very high level, which is, is really good. So, you know, I think when you look overall in this class, you know, he, his production was up there and it's always tough, uh, with wide receiver production because, you know, some of that can be dictated by the scheme that they're in, you know, how many other talented players they have around them. You see that at places, you know, like Ohio state, we talked about where they just have so many weapons offensively that no one player's production is necessarily so outsized that it stands out. But then you get players, you know, like Debo Samuel, where he is very clearly kind of the best weapon that they have at wide receiver, uh, gets a lot of targets thrown his way um, and was able to go and do a lot with those targets. And so, uh, yeah, I think when you look at his his grades over the course of his career, you know, one of the higher three year grades uh, in this draft class, you know, was right in, in the same range as guys like A.J. Brown, Nikhil Harry. Um, I think the one area that really stands out that he was very, very good at uh, was on slant routes. He was the highest graded receiver on slant routes over his three years uh, in, in college there. Only 14 receptions on him, so it wasn't necessarily something that was a high volume route for him, but 356 yards on those routes. Uh, on the, on those receptions, 253 of those came after the catch and 136 after contact. So uh, it was just very, very efficient and productive when, when he was able to get the ball in his hands quickly and make stuff happen after the catch. And, and the cherry on top of that slant Sunday is that 12 of those 14 catches went for first downs or touchdowns. Yeah. So he basically produced, he, I mean, he was a slant machine and, and he performed very, very well on that route. Overall, he had 11 touchdowns for South Carolina last year and averaged 9.6 yards after the catch. He averaged 9.6 yards after the catch. And that's not just because he was catching a bunch of bubble screens and smoke screens. He, got, he did get a lot of screens thrown yep, his way. Definitely. But you look at a play where he caught a, like, I think he caught a slant on near the seven or eight yard line uh, and housed the whole damn slant. Yeah, I mean, there was like a 90-yard a uh, slant play that he had against Florida. Yeah, which was yeah, that, third yeah, quarter against he gets, Florida. Uh, like, he gets, it's kind of funny because it's, it's kind of perfect Debo in, in a way in that uh, you, know, you get the route running to separate. You have enough juice and, and kind of all the after-the-catch ability there uh, to, to kind of break that for a big game. But he doesn't quite have the long speed. gets tracked down from behind at like the five-yard line or something Man, like that. He had an extra gear, though, when he was running away from someone. It, it, that, yeah, he had some plays, for that, sure. That gear doesn't show up when he is running his route or when he's running a straight-line route. But uh, it's, always, it's always a little faster when you're running away from something than when you're running towards something. Uh, and so he he did have a little bit of a gear, and he did house the damn play. So, I mean, that's that's really what, what mattered in that instance. But you look at where he wins as a player, and you start with the route running. And this is probably one of the things that Shanahan's covets. He has separation on intermediate routes, and this is where he's probably going to play for the 49ers. And, and when you look at what Shanahan's trying to do with building a complementary set of wide receivers, you're looking at different players to attack different parts of the field. And you look at someone like Marquise Goodwin, he's going to attack the deep third of the field. And Pierre Garçon was going to attack the intermediate area, and that's the player that is now gone. And 
I don't think Shanahan is confident that the players that he has right now are going to be able to attack that intermediate area well. I know that Kendrick Bourne's a fan favorite, but Kendrick Bourne is okay. And he's not, not gonna, really. He's not going to be someone that you're going to. I don't. I don't know. Not draft. Not draft Debo Samuel over. Sure. You're not looking for. You're, he's not going to prevent you from getting an upgrade because you probably need an upgrade. I mean, if Kendrick Bourne is your starting wide receiver, quite clearly the 49ers were not comfortable. Uh, and then the fact that they took two wide receivers, you know, uh, on, on day two here, questionable, but, questionable on whether or not that second one's a wide receiver. I mean, sure, we'll, we'll get there in a minute. Sure, sure. But yeah, I think you know, it sounds is something that we say all the time in talking about Shanahan and what he looks for at this position. Uh, and it sounds overly simple, but really the two most important things by a, a wide margin for him is you need to be able to create separation with your route running ability and get open. And then when you're open and you're throwing the ball, you need to catch that ball. Uh, and I think that's, you know, the two things that Debo does uh, probably best. You know, again, you mentioned the route running there and we've talked about that in the pre-draft stuff. Uh, his his hands are fantastic. Only dropped four passes of his 98 catchable targets last year uh, in his three-year stats. You know, he had the highest catch rate on catchable throws uh, of this entire draft class. So uh, hands are fantastic. You know, he's a player that can go much like Pierre Garçon. He's not going to be, uh, you know, a, a, a vertical contested catch, you know, jump ball type of guy, but he can make those tough catches, right? The, the, the catches in the intermediate area with guys nearby or closing in on him that, that's kind of like laying that hit right after he gets the catch. Uh, you know, all of those type of throws in the middle of the field, like those are the, the tough catches that he can make. Uh, and, you know, he, again, he's going to make the easy ones consistently. And that's, you know, again, a very basic skill, but one that's very important. And when you're looking at an area that's compressed like the red zone, yes, one way to win in the red zone is to be just a really, really big dude and box someone out and run one of the least efficient plays in football, which is the fade. Or you can try to separate in the end zone with short area quickness. And that's, I think, where Debo Samuel will shine. There was a play against Tennessee where it kind of exemplarizes his hands, but I'm not even sure if exemplarizes is a word, but we're going to go with it. Uh, against Tennessee where there's a scramble drill and Debo's just basically kicking it wide open in the end zone. And the quarterback just absolutely airmails it. I mean, he throws it, still not sure if he's throwing it away. And Debo jumps up, jabs one hand in the air, and brings the ball down uh, and gets, I'm not sure if he gets two feet in bounds, but he gets at least one because it's college. Um, college and, touchdown. That's right. Uh, it doesn't matter. Still a touchdown. Yep. Uh, and it, I mean, it's pretty good. He's got really good hands. Uh, yeah. and, and, and I think it's, it's exactly what Shanahan wants. Do you, can you separate? Can you create space for the quarterback to get you the ball? And then when the ball is there, are you going to freaking catch it? And Debo does both those things very, very well. Yeah. And then, you know, kind of the final thing that I think that, that uh, we'd be remiss not to bring up is his ability after the catch. Um, I think, very much a big part of his game. Um, you know, that was a, a big part of how South Carolina utilized him. You know, it was a big reason why so many of his receptions came near behind the line of scrimmage. You know, a lot of jet sweep, a lot of, a lot of screen stuff uh, that was mixed in there. And that was because they were looking just for any way to get the ball in this guy's hand so that he could do stuff with it after the catch. And, and he was, again, fantastic there. You mentioned the overall numbers. I mean, on the slants alone, he averaged over 18 yards after the catch. Uh, you know, on those 14 slant receptions, it was just something uh, that came up consistently where not only is he a guy that's going to be able to, you know, make the catch and get what's there, you know, he's going to turn up field, he's going to get what's available to him, but he is someone that can create, he is is going to force missed tackles, um, you know, had what, 21 uh, force missed tackles on 62 catches last season, you know, I think he was among the top five 
uh, guys in this class as far as force missed tackles go. Which is pretty um, absurd when you think about yeah. it. Because there are some players that don't approach 21 missed tackles full stop uh, on, on quite a bit more catches. And, and he's able, I mean, there was, there was one play where he gained three yards and made three dudes miss. Like he was averaging one missed tackle a yard. Basically. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was, it's funny. Cause he has a lot of plays like that when you're like, okay, yeah, you got to keep this in perspective. It's, it's only a three yard, uh, gain here. Sure. But you know, it's, it, it could have been a three yard loss and, and it's, you know, he's able to, again, create when, when something isn't necessarily there and turn what could be either, you know, a short gain or potentially even a bad play for your offense, uh, and turn that into a positive. And I think that's something that's, uh, that's very important and that I don't know that we have, you know, on the 49ers roster players who are really all that capable. I mean, obviously Kittle at the tight end position is, yeah, uh, that's his big thing. But as far as wide receivers go, there's no one that that's I think at quite that level. Pettis is good, you know, in, in that regard, but nobody has the the same after the catchability as I think what Debo's shown. And there's another flag I think that that maybe Shanahan is starting to look at, or not starting to look at, but maybe considers when evaluating wide receivers, and that's their ability to return kicks because he has returned a couple punts for touchdowns. And obviously, we know that Dante Pettis was someone who returned a lot of kicks in the Pac-12 for touchdowns, and, and he obviously got up on on the radar. So that might be one of the qualifiers that we may need to add to the Shanahan wide receiver model when we're looking at wide receivers next year uh, yeah. is do they, do they have punt returns for touchdowns? Because I mean, it makes sense to a degree, right? I think yeah, that it, it, it highlights you running after the catch. Yeah, ability, right? It, it kind of shows like some vision and, and ability to navigate in the open field. And again, create with the ball in your hands. Yeah. So let's get to the limitations because Debo Samuel is a, a second round draft pick and he was not a first rounder. He was not a consensus number one overall. And that's because the player has limitations. Uh, and I think the first thing that jumps out is that his deep passing production is not all that stellar he had just 15 deep targets and four deep receptions his deep catch rate ranked him 150th in this draft class uh it may have been over to utilization uh it may be because Ole Miss seemed to run a wide receiver screen every third play uh, but either which way it was not something that he put on tape a lot uh, and it wasn't something where he produced to a great degree right it, it is one of those things you know that I think is is probably one that you want to chalk up more as an unknown at this point, just because we haven't seen him do a lot. But I think it is in looking at the the reps that he did have where he was running vertically downfield. I think there's a really strong chance that he wasn't used that way a lot because that's not the strength of his game. Right. And I think that's something that's very likely to continue at the NFL level. Um, I, I very much expect him to be a player that is kind of a, a safety blanket underneath for, for Jimmy, right? I think he's going to be a guy that makes his living, you know, in that kind of zero to 19 yard depth uh, on the route tree there. And is somebody that, you know, Jimmy, again, much like almost like a tight end, right? You think of tight ends as being the kind of the safety blanket in the middle of the field and guys that are able to find these openings and zones and just kind of be targets for your receiver. He's somebody that's going to get open in some of those same areas and then be able to hopefully create some plays after the catch once he gets it. I mean, it's not difficult to envision him as a replacement for Pierre Garçon. And so everywhere you would see Pierre Garçon on the NFL, on the field for the 49ers, that's where you're going to see Debo Samuel. And so when we get to his potential impact, we get to the first question that I saw on Twitter when he was drafted. Is he a number one? What's my answer? Who fucking cares? Nobody does. Because the Julio Joneses of the world, they're very, very rare. And if he were in this draft, guess what? He wouldn't be available in the second round. But it doesn't matter because this obsession, this whatever it is, and I don't know what it is. It's just the, the parlance of maybe fandom. I'm not sure. But this obsession with the number one receiver, it's like, is he number one? Is he number one? Man, it doesn't matter. 
It really doesn't. You, you try to find those players if you can, but the vast majority of teams simply don't have that player. And you don't just sit there and go, well, can't feel the wide receiver core, don't have a number one. No, you put together a complementary wide receiver core, which is exactly what Shanahan has done. You maximize the strength of those wide receivers, and then you deploy them. And so what is Debo's impact going to be for the 49ers? Well, they need a replacement at Z, and they got one, and I think he's probably going to end up being the starter. He's going to attack the intermediate area of the field. He's going to probably win on slants. We're going to have someone who can run some screens at this point and run them to a great effect because of his run after the catch ability, and he's going to be a safety blanket for Jimmy. All great things, and I think overall, it's a great addition in the second round for the 49ers. Definitely. I, you know, again, it was one that you could see the fit, uh, you know, when you were watching tape before the draft, that it just made a lot of sense. Obviously, they got a closer look at him uh, at the Senior Bowl, liked what they saw very clearly. Uh, and so, yeah, I think um, he's going to be a player that comes in, fits well with what they're doing offensively. Um, he has the versatility to play both in the slot and outside. Um is he, is he just a slot guy, though? Because uh, you, you see that every now and again, where it's like, oh, we just drafted another slot guy or someone who's just going to play in the slot. Or do you yeah. think he can be successful outside? I, I definitely think he can be s- successful outside. Yeah, I think um, you know he's a player that played both, right? They, they would put him in the slot as a way to kind of get him the ball on some of those quick throws like we mentioned before, but uh, he spent plenty of time, you know, out wide, you know, you, you got a chance to see some of his releases at the line against press coverage. Uh, And I think, yeah, his movement there, his releases um, fall in line with his route running. Right. I think, you know, those, those are very much tied together and something that he excels at. So uh, yeah, I think he, he's going to be fine whether they put him outside or inside. And I very much expect him to play both. There was one play against Clemson. Do you remember when they were in the end zone and the Clemson DB kind of sneaks up and tries to bump him off the line real quick and gets like two, a two-hand strike on him? Yeah. And Devo just literally like kind of backs up a minute and is like, did you just try to hit me? And then immediately proceeds to just wiggle inside on a slant and catch a touchdown. Yeah, I mean, just completely rolls with it, you know, because he's got, you, you see him, you know, and his eyes are kind of going back and forth between the corner that's in press and, and the ball waiting for the snap. And then, you know, you see him kind of, okay, like now that as the ball's about to be snapped, he's in on the ball and the corner kind of comes up and, and really tries to take this like cheap, it's like a cheap shot press shot. And he just, I mean, it, it's, it's really good. Like he just really rolls with it, kind of absorbs the shot on the one shoulder, breaks inside, is able to get separation, catches the ball, scores a touchdown. And I mean, I would have spiked that ball in the motherfucker's <laughs> face, but that's just me. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think, um, that you know, would be a, that would be a penalty. Good, sir. That would be a penalty. It would be worth it. Uh, cheating on Newman 15 <laughs> yards. Yeah. So I, I, I think that, you know, you've seen those things on the outside that make you feel, uh, you know, fairly comfortable that he's going to be okay there. But again, I, I think that he has the skills to play both spots and he's very much going to do that for, for this offense. Now, David, one of the receivers that you preferred was AJ Brown. Uh, I liked also Nikhil Harry. Nikhil Harry, of course, went to the Patriots at the end of the first. Uh, but what was it about AJ Brown that you liked over Debo Samuel? And do you think that Debo Samuel is a, a significantly inferior prospect to AJ Brown, knowing that you know we're not we're not saying that one player is going to be good inherent like by definition we won't know for a few years. But what was it about AJ Brown that you liked over Debo, and, and is the gap wide? 
No, I, I think the gap's definitely not wide, right? I think the the receivers that we were looking at in that range were all very close, and I think you could make you know arguments for any one of them as being kind of the guy that should have been the pick there if you're going to go receiver. Uh, as we talk about with with wide receivers and cornerbacks all the time, it's it's really kind of uh, what flavor do you prefer? You know, it, these guys come in all sorts of different shapes and sizes and in playing styles, and and it's about what you're doing. Uh, on your team schematically and what fits best with what with what you're trying to get accomplished, right? So I think uh, Debo, the fit makes a lot of sense. For me, just kind of in a vacuum, A.J. Brown, I think, brought a little bit more to the table. I think there's a little bit more vertical element to his game. You know, he, he could have brought something that I don't think they have, which is not only the ability to do some of the similar things that Debo does, uh, you know, underneath, but also, like, be able to be a vertical threat from the slot, be another guy that can kind of compliment, um, you know, George Kittle in that way. And, you know, again, just bring something to the table that their current receiving court doesn't really have. Um, but you're, I, I think you're perfectly fine with, with either one of those options and, and can definitely see why the 49ers prefer to go with Debo over a player like uh, AJ Brown or, you know, even Nikhil Harry had he been on the board. All right, so that wraps up our scattering report for Debo Samuel overall, uh, and not just because of his name, because I'm still trying to figure out some kind of Friday joke that we'll figure out. I mean, as soon as as soon as he trucks someone, we're going to get the you got knocked the fuck out meme. I mean, you know it's coming. We're getting ready. Yeah. Graphic artists out there, gift makers, do, do it. it. Get ready. Just have it prepped and primed so that when he trucks someone, and he will because he plays angry. He's like a bigger Steve Smith. Yeah, he's he's a very physical player yeah, for sure. He uh yeah, he and he's and he's thick with two C's. Uh so you know, he's <laughs> he's gonna roll somebody and it, we're, we need the memes ready. We need them ready. Alex Tran, if you're listening, Niners Nation graphic artist, let's make this happen. Uh, all right, so let's get to the third round pick for the 49ers uh, because uh, first rounds, uh, the rounds one and two so far, you're happy, right, David? You're like, all right, this yeah. is going kind of according to plan. Feeling pretty solid. We probably would have wanted a corner in the second round, but we totally understand why they went with a wide receiver. There was value there in both areas. Uh, and so now we get to the third round selection. But before we get to the scouting report for the 49ers third round selection, let's take a brief break to hear from our sponsors. All right, David, it is the third round, top of the third round. The Niners are on the clock, and with the 67th pick, the 49ers select Jalen Hurd, wide receiver, Baylor. What's the thought that goes through your head? Go. Uh, <laughs> it was mostly like that. What, yeah. what sound does an ellipsis make? It's yeah, just, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, just like confusion and... Uh, uncertainty that like what was happening was actually real yeah um yeah i was it was very surprising i was expecting i don't know what i was expecting but it was absolutely a surprise i mean uh, jalen hurd was the 152nd overall prospect on the draft network's board he was the 23rd ranked wide receiver he wasn't even on the pro football focus 250 he was basically considered a project a project because he started off as a running back at tennessee and then transferred to baylor and switched to, right, to wide receiver. So this was a player that, for lots of reasons, was not on a lot of teams' radar. There were a couple of fans that loved his game, I will say. They, they tweeted me. They were like, they, like, we love this guy. We think he's great. Um, but at least in in the, the draft Twitter community, which may not always be representative of what's going on in, in, in real life, uh, he was not someone that was rated highly. Yeah, it, it's just it's tough to 
imagine why they felt the need to make this pick at this stage of the draft, right? I think that's kind of the key part. It's it's one thing if you, you know, decided that you really fell in love with this prospect and this was a player that you wanted to have on your team. Um, part of, of navigating the draft successfully and, and being a good, you know, organization and front office and, and finding value in this stuff is is also having an understanding of where else, you know, what other teams are valuing these players at and kind of what the market is for them and and where you can actually get them. You know, this is how we end up with situations like the Raiders taking Cleveland Farrell number four overall when nobody thought that, you know, that he was going to go even close to that range, right? I think it, it, it best you, people were thinking that maybe he's a player that goes at the end of the first round. A lot of people have him as a day two prospect. And by not being aware of kind of where the market is on that player, you know, you're, you're kind of losing the potential to get value elsewhere. I mean, there's almost, almost certainly, uh, and, and again, it's hard to know this stuff for sure. And you want to give them as much benefit of the doubt as possible, but you would have a very difficult time convincing me that Jalen Hurd wasn't going to be there, uh, several Fourth rounds, round, later, fifth round, you yeah. know? Uh, and it's, I think it's tough to see that at pick 67, which is, is very much, I mean, a third round pick, but that's a that's a top pick, right? That's kind of the sweet spot of this draft where I think there are a lot of good players that are going to be found in kind of that that second round, third round range of this draft. And it just, uh, I think, is, is confusing to spend that pick for a team that needs so much help on what is effectively a project. Well, so for me, I think this this is an interesting exercise for me because I knew very little about Jalen Hurd going into this. I, I watched the Texas-Baylor game, and so I knew that he caught a couple passes against Texas, but that was about it. Um, and so for me, going actually and watching his tape over the course of the evening while the draft was going on in the background, was uh, so I was basically watching him with fresh eyes. And I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm a little confused as to why they doubled down a wide receiver, but at least from the abstract, I'm thinking... But okay, you're doubling down on the passing game at least. Sure. So okay, let's let's go that way. Let's say you're actually putting resources into something that you know you need to excel because the way that it's looking, the NFL is going to have three teams that can shoot out. And now with DK Metcalf on Seattle, I mean the, the Niners are going to need to put up some points somewhere. Okay, so let's go into the athletic profile. How the hell does he look on tape? He's big. He's a big ass dude. That's the first thing that jumps out. Six four, two twenty five, and he's a pretty good athlete. He's a 76th, 76th percentile athlete, ranks just below Debo in the draft class. And this is, of course, from Three Sigma Athlete. Uh, and it's a weight adjusted score. So the fact that he's so big actually is in his favor. Um, and he's, he looks a lot quicker on tape than you would think by just saying, oh, he's a 6'4 dude that's 225. Definitely. I, I think that's um, one thing that was a little bit surprising. I mean, we, we watched a decent number of the big receivers in this draft class as we were kind of preparing for it. And, you know, as we talked about with guys like, you know, Hakeem Butler, for instance, who was still on the board, um, didn't show a lot of movement skills, even though, you know, Butler's a guy that, that did test pretty well. He ran a, you know, he had a good 40 time was a four, four, eight, 40 guy. Um, you just didn't see, you know, there was, there was some sluggishness in and out of breaks and, and things like that, that just kind of, I think turned us off at least uh, on his game a little bit. And I think with, with Hurd at least you do see a little bit more from a quickness standpoint, right? He does kind of surprise you for a player that's that big. He does move a little bit better. You know, it takes a second for him to get going, but once he's into the route, you know, you see him get separation on some 
uh, on some routes, and you can kind of, you know, again, see some athleticism there that's more than what you would really expect from a player that size. He's a bit of a long strider, but he does have speed, and he can cl- at least short area speed, and he can close the distance on corners when he's got runway. He did, of course, run a four six four forty. Uh, now he's got pretty good quickness. He ran a four one five shuttle, so that's about a, that's about a hundredth of a second slower than yeah. Debo Samuel. I mean. Ident- right, identical. Yeah, basically. yeah. I mean, they're basically identical. Not- so he's a lot bigger, and at least in that short area, he is as quick as Debo Samuel, which is, I think, a really, really good thing. Now, of course, once you get straight line at forty yards, that tenth of a second does become a substantive difference in the NFL. Um, and when you look at his one six four ten yard split, so basically that the first ten yards of his forty yard dash was at one point six four seconds. That was hashtag not great, Bob amongst wide receivers, but maybe that's not where we should be comparing him. We'll get to that in a minute. I think that the big picture with with him as a prospect is that he's a big-ass dude, and he's a big-ass dude with some quicks to him, but he's definitely not going to be someone that you're going to expect to have that straight-line number one wide receiver speed like someone who is Julio Jones, who is large and weighs 220, but also runs you know, a 4440. And from a production standpoint, we just don't have a, a ton to go on at this point. So, uh, like you mentioned, I mean, he has spent most of his college career as a running back, uh, transferred to Baylor. Which, how weird is it to watch the tape and be like, that's a running back? Yeah. Like, what's that dude doing in the backfield? Is he trying to get off the field? Like, that's a, that's 12 men on the field. What the hell's going on here? There's a lot of weird things that we'll get to later with that, for for me at least. But, uh, so yeah, only, only one season to really look at him as a wide receiver at Baylor. Uh, and was just kind of, you know, okay uh, is from a production standpoint there. Had 947 yards uh, on 106 targets, only a 76.9 receiving grade. Um, didn't really, even when you start getting, you know, so one of the things I like to do with, with these guys is find out kind of what area of the field they really went in, you know, what routes they're running most often. And when you kind of start looking through the different splits with him, there wasn't one area that really stuck out. I mean, he got a lot of his targets in the intermediate area just because, uh, you know, he was lined up in the slot almost exclusively. Um, you know, I think he ran 454 of his 471 routes from the slot. So that was kind of where he lived. And because of that, most of his targets are naturally going to come in the middle of the field in that intermediate area. Um, but from from a production standpoint and how well he actually did with those opportunities, again, didn't stand out in any one spot. Uh, most of the time was kind of grading in the middle of the pack to even toward the bottom of the draft class in just about every area that we looked at. And so, you know, again, it, it's just it's tough to feel super comfortable with a guy that has one year of experience playing this position. And most of that experience is going to be in the slot. He had 67 receptions and ranked him 10th in the nation in terms of slot receptions. And so, I mean, it makes sense to put him in the slot because if he is a running back or he's traditionally played running back, you want to get him in space and you want to get him in the middle of a field where he's got a two-way go. So I get the logic behind putting him in the slot. So then you think about, okay, he's got limited production because he really only has one year of being a wide receiver. He's got production. Um, he's got, you know, okay production as a running back. He wasn't a great running back, quite frankly. It's yeah. difficult to be a good running back at 6'4", 225 with a long stride. Um, <laughs> that's, just, that's just a difficult physical comp. Uh, but so where does he win, right? Uh, well, he doesn't really have one skill that jumps out on tape. There's not one thing where you're like, 
that's where he's going to consistently dunk on fools in the NFL. He does a lot of things kind of okay. And, and I think the best thing that he does is, just like you mentioned earlier, kind of win in the intermediate areas. Right. So it's it's kind of tough because I think this is something that we you know really try to look for like what is the thing that this player does well that we can you know rely on going forward and um, you know even when we go back to kind of this basic idea of what Shanahan's looking for right we want guys who can get open can catch the ball well catching the ball isn't necessarily the strongest thing he's definitely not Debo Samuel in regards to his hands um, you know I think. Uh, had nine drops this season. His he had a 88 percent uh, catchable pass, or excuse me, he caught 88 percent of his catchable passes. Uh, this Get season, it right, Newman. Which Jesus is you know it was okay. It's not bad um, by any means, but it's it's certainly not toward the top of the class. I think uh, the thing that was frustrating with him is that you would see him make you know, you would see him make catches that looked like he was a natural pass catcher. It looked like okay, yeah, that's a good catch, and then he would drop a wide open freaking ball. And they would right. just get into his body. It, it was inconsistent. It wasn't like he was consistently bad or consistently good. It was like, uh, okay, catch, catch. Why the hell did you drop that? Yeah, and and I think even a lot of the catches, right, were were wide open. You know, they were kind of open targets. I don't think he's a guy that's going to make a lot of difficult catches. You know, when things were uh, kind of compressed at the catch point or, you know, he didn't have the cleanest look at it, the ball wasn't right on target, you know, those were situations when he tended to have a little bit more issues. And so I think, yeah, you, you if you can get him the ball wide open, sure. You know, I think most guys are, are going to typically be okay in that scenario, but he's not somebody, especially, again, for a big wide receiver, somebody that that really shows the ability to make those difficult catches. I think when you look at, okay, can he separate? I think that's a tougher question to answer. I think there there are some, you know, potentially encouraging things there. We mentioned the quickness, and I think you can see some of that uh, with some of his routes. But the problem is, is when he's lined up in the slot, playing a lot of zone defense, right, which you're getting in the Big 12. A lot of teams are basically basing out of quarters. And so he has a, a pretty large area to work with in the middle of the field that tends to be open. And you saw a lot of his routes were effectively just, uh, you know, kind of like 12 to 15 yards. I'm going to I'm gonna kind of bend inside here a little bit inside the safety and, and sit here and sit wide open for the quarterback. And uh, that stuff's just not going to be there. Like teams- It's actually, it's ridiculous how often that scenario played out because we're sitting here and we're watching a cut up and you, we're watching an RPO, which Baylor loves to run. And so Baylor runs the RPO and you've got Hurd in the slot and he runs that little kind of like like 12 yard slant basically to the middle of the field and you get a pass from the quarterback. He catches it. Okay, cool. The same exact play runs again. And I'm like, okay, maybe we're just watching the same play again. Cause David's at the controls. Uh, and then you see the same thing again. And I'm like, David, why are we watching the same play three times? And he's like, no, those are three different plays. This goes on <laughs> for two more plays yeah. where it's basically the same exact play. Part of that is Baylor's offense because Baylor's offense is predicated off of, playing fast, running the same thing over and over, giving your quarterback options. and But his route was consistently over the middle, catch the ball, over the middle, catch the ball. And he did it okay, and he did it well. But it's hard to project a, a route tree um, or to do much of anything else when all you're doing is getting wide the hell open against quarters in the middle of the field and executing a pretty easy catch. Right. I think the the type of plays that you really want to be able to focus on when you're trying to evaluate these guys are you're, you're looking for things where they're kind of creating on their own, right? So for a receiver, that's I'm, I'm creating the separation, right? I'm not just running to a wide open area. So it's I'm, you know, with, with my route running ability, how I'm setting these things up, 
I'm the one that's creating the separation that leads to this open throw, or I'm making the difficult catch, right? I, I, I wasn't able to get the separation, but I have guys closing in on me, or maybe I'm just running through a zone and guys are closing in on me that way, and and I have people that are compressing the catch point. I'm making the difficult catch, right? That that wasn't the kind of gimme that you're expecting a guy to make. You're, you're looking for all of those plays. Debo Samuel, creating after the catch, right? Not only is he taking what the defense is giving him there, he's able to force missed tackles, make moves on guys, and get more than that. So those are the things that I think you really want to look for from for a receiver prospect. And I think you just didn't really see any of that from Hurd. Like, there there was one... I mean, everybody that's that's even considered in the draft is going to have a few of those plays, right, on, on their tape. But generally speaking, like, most of his plays are things that you would expect to happen. He's, he's running to wide open areas, making wide open catches, getting the yards after the catch that are available to him and not really doing a lot more. When when something changes that picture a little bit and makes things more difficult, you don't really see him do a lot in those situations. So let's talk then a bit about his limitations because I think when everyone, when, when you wake up tomorrow morning and you see his physical profile, you see someone who is 6'5", 225, you think to yourself, the 49ers got that big-bodied wide receiver that, that that we've been looking for. They got that red zone monster that's going to be, you know, that's going to catch a fade in the end zone in maybe an important game. Uh, but if you're hoping for a contested catch wide receiver, I think you're going to be disappointed in someone like Hurd because he's a really big wide receiver, but he plays smaller than he is. Uh, if you look at all of his contested catch situations, he had 18 of them, uh, not a lot, and he has four catches on 18 contested catch situations. Not only is it not a situation he saw frequently, but when he did see that situation, it wasn't something he excelled at. So that rate, just to to kind of put that into some context here, in this draft class, the only player that that was better than... I love this stat. I love it. ...is Hollywood Brown, who is the smallest dude in this draft class. This may be my Uh, favorite stat of the entire fucking draft. The fact that someone who is 6'5", 225 has a contested catch rate that is on par with someone who was it was considered basically pint-sized who yeah, maybe needed like a, not much bigger than I am who maybe needed a step stool to hug the commissioner like th- <laughs> this is the kind of player that we're talking about and yet he has a similar contested catch rate to someone that you might think to yourself man that dude's 65 and so this is one of the things that that I'm really kind of struggling with in watching his game so far. I mean, watched all of his targets last year, you know. Uh, so this is all that he's got to offer as a receiver right now. Uh, one of the quotes that Kyle Shanahan had right immediately after this pick happened, when when him and Lynch were talking with the press, was that they felt like they got the two most physical wide receivers in the draft in in these two players, and I think. With Debo, you 100% see that. There's no way that you can turn on his tape and not see the physical element of his game. I don't know where it's coming from with Hurd. I, I, I mean, this was a guy that I just, again, consistently did not see uh, the ability to, to kind of like shed tackles or, or do anything after the catch the, with, with his physicalness there. He wasn't doing it uh, at the catch point and winning those tough catches. Um, he wasn't even doing it. I mean, there were there were a number of plays where you look where he just gets bodied at the top of the route and just gets completely thrown off and, and taken away from the catch point altogether before he even has a chance to get there. And, and so I just don't know where the plays are that they're seeing that that's making them feel that way. And it's it's just it's tough because, again, I think that's really what I kept coming back to is the point that he is a large receiver with a small receivers game. And at that point, 
what are you bringing to the table that this team doesn't already have, right? They, they've at this point now added a number of different receivers, you know, over the course of the, the couple years that they've been here. And they have guys that can do these things. They have the guys that can, you know, win underneath and in the intermediate area. At this point, we have several players that we think are probably pretty good there. I mean, Pettis, that's where he's best. Honestly, Kendrick uh, Bourne could do some of the stuff that he's doing. Yeah. I, I mean, we Another talked about Baylor Debo. Receiver. You, you look at the other guys that you have in the slot, guys like Richie James and Trent Taylor that, that can win there. Like, the, the, well, the, so I, I think that's the interesting line because so let's get to the potential impact because typically this is where we think, okay, this is where the player is going to, uh, where they're going to help the team. But for me with herd, it's a lot, it's mostly a bunch of questions. And we talked a little bit about what the logic is, right? We're not sure what it is, but I think for me, the first thing I think is, okay, maybe they're trying to roll with a bigger slot position. Jordan Matthews, of course, is a player that succeeded in the slot. He's the guy who for a long time defined the big slot role. And maybe Jordan Matthews is going to be the, you know, the, the Obi-Wan that in camp helps, you know, nurture this guy because they're not going to cut a third round pick. Right. It, it, sure. He is going yeah. to be assured a roster spot. You don't take a third round player and then cut him. If you do with the state of the current 49ers roster. Wow. Exactly. So I think maybe Jordan Matthews with the contract that he has, you bring him in to maybe help him along in the progression that is being a big, a big slot guy. And you're trying to get a different kind of complementary receiving core because when you look at most of it, I mean, he herds targets 454 of his 471 routes were, were run from the slot. So this is a guy who, this is what he did. And if hopefully the Niners have learned anything from Solomon Thomas, it's play the, play the guy with what he did well in college. If that's what you're drafting him to do. And so maybe he's the big slot guy and they're trying to reform their wide receiving core in that way. I just don't know that this is uh, like how you land on this guy being the the person to do that. Right. So I think that idea is fine. I think if you want to add that element, this is something that we talked about with Nikhil Harry, right? That this was the different element that he would be able to bring to this receiving core was the ability to not only do some of the stuff underneath that they like, and he had some, he has some ability after the catch, which is always great. But the thing that he really added to this group was he had a vertical element from the slot, right? Where he could run that vertical route tree, run that run. You know, he's going to go up the seam like a tight end, run the deep over routes. He can make the contested catches in those situations and that's something that they don't really have, right? It's basically George Kittle is kind of the only guy that can do some of those things. And if they wanted to get a guy that was a little bit more receiver, had a little bit more athleticism than that, uh, to, to be able to do some of those things, then sure, you know, that's that makes sense to try to add that component to your passing game. But this isn't that guy, right? So you're, I, this is the exact thing that so many draft mistakes are made of is basically saying, we see this kind of raw prospect. We're the ones that can get this stuff out of him. He's never shown it before, but damn it, we're the ones that can get it out of him. And that just doesn't happen all that often. And so I think that's the concerning part with him is I, he does the things that he does well, which aren't even all that great, right? He doesn't do those things at a high level. He doesn't have one thing that he can really hang his hat on that's going to be a, a very good elite trait for him. They have players that do those things already. And so I don't know what he's going to do. I think you're asking a lot of him if he's going to be expected to come in there and be, you know, your big slot that adds a vertical element to the middle of the field there. Like, I just 
do not see him doing that. So here's the other angle. The other angle is maybe he's a tight end candidate. Maybe you don't look at him as a wide receiver, but instead you look at him as a move tight end. You look at someone like Josh Oliver. He's a tight end from San Jose State. He's a player lots of fans wanted. Dude is also 6'5", ran a 4'6", 240, tested similarly to Hurd. Granted, he was compared against tight ends, and and Hurd is compared against wide receivers. So their scores are going to be a little bit different, but physically they comp similarly. And so maybe you think to yourself, okay, maybe he's not going to be a true wide receiver, but maybe now the Niners are going to roll with a different type of offense that looks a bit more like a two tight end offense where you've got George Kittle and you've got Hurd, two big guys that are problematic for smaller corners or those five DB sets, which are now the base defense in most NFLs, uh, in most NFLs. Jesus Christ. (laughs) Most of the NFLs. Most of the around. NFLs. Uh, yeah. There's all of the NFLs that I know of. Five defensive backs is the standard. Yeah. Multiverses are real. Uh, <laughs> and you know what? The effects of multi beers are real as well. True story. Uh, true story. But let's say that, that that is where, you know, if defenses are getting smaller, then maybe the Niners are trying to get bigger. And so you run with a wide receiver tight end hybrid. And, and this is the beginning of that. It's kind of a it's adjacent to the big slot thing, but it's kind of in the same vein then go get a tight end. Um, I mean, that's the thing. So, like, even the guy that you Damn mentioned, you, right? Damn uh, <laughs> Josh Oliver, right, is 250. Like, so so I think there's two parts to that. One, you're either expecting this guy and no, to... And Noah Fant would be the other guy. Like, that Noah Fant, uh, of course, is too... Like, I he's, mean, like, 235, but Noah Fant ran a 4.540, and he's a lot faster right, than he was a, also a first-round pick. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so so a little bit different skill set that we're, that we're working with there, but... I, yeah, I think, you know, so you, you're taking a guy that's like right now measured at 228 at the, the combine. Um, even if you think that he, you know, there's there's some natural room there with his frame that he can add some weight. Again, like, I don't know where you're getting the, the idea that he has the, the physicality to be able to make that transition. And if you add weight to him suddenly, he's, and he's not slower. able to. Yeah, he's not like already like a, again, a, a super high end athlete. So you're taking a guy that, you know, is a solid athlete at the weight that he's playing at right now. And you're trusting that he's going to be able to add what, 20 pounds and, and be able to maintain that? Like, uh, and also then be able to do some of the things that you're you're hoping that he can do. I mean, the the reason that stuff works when you go to, you know, two tight end sets is, the, the guys at least have some semblance to believe that you can run block. Like you're going to put him in the box there and ask him to block linebackers and defensive ends. And he's going to get abused. Like, it's just, it's going to be ridiculous. So I, I don't know. Yeah. That, that where, where that plan is coming from that you think that he can move to tight end. I think again, we've just seen these transitions go poorly so often. And, and that's what just, I was going to yeah. bring up is, is I, I, I still, the more and more I think about it, the more I do think that, trying to ask a player to make a drastic position change just isn't going to be something that's that's successful especially for a player that's as raw is he like he yeah. doesn't even have a, a set position right now right yeah because he was a running back and then a wide receiver and now he's going to be some kind of offensive weapon right and and i think ultimately when you what you do with your first like three rounds of picks is you say what do you do really well let's go ahead and take that and make that work at the nfl level and the Niners seem to be, especially in and around the third and fourth round, enamored with taking a player and then thinking that they can mold him. They have the, quite frankly, arrogance to think that they can completely transform a player into doing something that is new 
at a level that is much higher than they had to do it in college. And so far, that has not been successful. And then what ends up happening is that that player, unfortunately, gets stuck in a loop. They get brought in to transfer to a different position or role. They don't do that well. So they move back to a different role. And then they've only been doing that for a year in the NFL. They don't do that well. And they keep ping-ponging. And you end up with Jimmy Ward. Or you end up with Tarverius Moore. Or you end up with these players. Or you end up with Solomon, Solomon Thomas. These players that you just don't have a fixed position for. You don't let them learn their craft. And then you cut them or trade them because they're a bust. When in reality, you didn't have a plan for them. And even if you did have a plan, it wasn't a good one. Because you should have just let them do what they do well. And play to their strengths. And instead, you thought to yourself... With a CBA that limits all this practice time, I'm going to go ahead and fix them. Look, man, I wouldn't have been able to go to sleep at night if we didn't get C.J. Beathard on this roster. All right? I wasn't going to be able to sleep until day three of the draft. Um, yeah, it's, I, I think it's, it's, it's tough. It's, it, this would be a completely different conversation if this is a player we're talking about taking with one of their two sixth-round picks, right, where he yeah. very likely could have been available. Like, this is a, a, a top 100 pick that you are expecting to take a player here that can come in and be an impact player for your team and, and be somebody that you can actually rely on, right? Not on a, a project. On a roster that is talent efficient and yeah. in a draft where there is a glut of talent in the second and third round. I mean, you yeah. think of the players that were still available when the Niners drafted this wide receiver. You look at the cornerbacks that were available a position of, of need for the 49ers. And okay, we know the Niners don't value cornerback as a position as much as they do their front seven. They've put a ton of resources in their front seven, but that doesn't mean that cornerback as a position doesn't exist. And, and so instead yeah. of, of going for a cornerback or instead of going for a safety that you know can challenge Jimmy Ward, they instead double down on a wide receiver. I, I get the position. I, the player still confuses me. Yeah, I think that's that's what you really come back to, right? Is and again, we we bang the drum hard for coverage constantly, and and I think and pass catchers. I think yeah. you know again affect the passing game. This is better than them drafting a damn off ball linebacker in the third round for right? sure. And so I think that's why though you you are comfortable with Debo Samuel, right? Why you're okay with that? You can say like, okay, yeah, let's the, talk the more single, about Debo. Like the, I, the I single... was really happy at the beginning of this podcast. <laughs> I've been like, I'm I'm not in a good place right now. Let's get back to talking about good stuff. Right. Well, I think, you know, you look at Debo Samuel and, and even though, you know, I think we would have argued all things being equal, if you have a cornerback that you like as much as you have, uh, you know, Debo Samuel, as much as you like Debo Samuel there, like you take the cornerback because that's a, a, a thing that you need more direly right now on your roster. Uh, but, you know, at the end of the day, he's a, a good player, a good prospect. You can see why you like him and improving your passing game is always worthwhile if you feel like this is a player that you can come in it's the single most important thing that you can do as a team is be able to throw the ball effectively and so if this is a player that's going to help that fantastic let's do it but the difference between taking a project wide receiver who you don't even think has a set position maybe transition to tight end we think we're going to throw him some carries here and there which like a you want this guy to add 20 pounds and you're going to give a 65 like 250 pound dude carries like what uh so you have that and then you have the ability like to add a a cornerback like i don't know how you can look at the cornerbacks on this roster right now and again all of the, like I would say, what, three, four of them are players that we've said positive things about. But 
the key thing with every single one of these corners is there's not a single one that you can point to that says, I know what I'm getting from this player in 2019. I feel confident this is a high-end impact player at an important position. Richard Sherman, good last year. Best years are clearly behind him. He, he is clearly on the downswing of his career. That rug's going to come out from under him at some point. So was that going to be this year? I don't know. Akella Witherspoon, a lot of talent to work with there. Abysmal last season. Like, what player are we going to get? Uh, Jason Verrett, fantastic when he's on the field. Hasn't been on the field in three years, right? All of these question marks all the way down the line, there's not a single player you can point to that you feel very confident this is what you're going to get. And what, so, do we know, and what do we know about these things is we know that not all of them are going to break your way. So when exactly. you've got Tarveris Moore, when you've got Jason Verrett, when you've got Akella Witherspoon, when you've got uh, Rich Sherman... Not all of those things are going to end positively. At best, it'll be 50-50. You want to keep giving yourself chances. That's yeah. the key thing. And it seems like, what, what I think before we get to kind of the, the day three thing, because we're not going to have a podcast tomorrow, so we'll get to day three in a minute. But I think the, the question that I would, or the thing that always befuddles me about this team is that they seem to understand that logic with some positions and not with others. They seem to understand that you should throw resources at defensive line or throw resources at linebacker or running or, back or running back. Right. Oh, or, or even God. wide receiver. Right. Sure. Yeah. They're like, they're, they're like, you know what? Shoot your shot, man. And the more chances you take, the more likely you are going to hit on something. That logic is sound. It makes sense. And they apply it to lots of positions. And unfortunately they're not applying it to one that kind of matters. And that's corner. And, and I get it if you think if you're a fan and you're sitting there and you're thinking, but you know what? The front seven is going to make the defensive backs look better. Okay, I get it. That's a that's that's a that's a very valid thing to think. But this this season is going to be a test case for that. I mean, I think last season we saw. So you know, again, pass rush wasn't great last year, but the key thing was. Even when you looked at situations, you, when you looked at a situation where the ball was out quickly, right, where the pass rush doesn't have time to get there, they were terrible. They were the worst coverage unit in the league when you look at passes that were thrown in under two and a half seconds. So if the ball is out, if teams continue with that approach, right, which makes sense, you, now you have legitimately a very good pass rush unit, a very good defensive line. I'm super excited uh, about this damn defensive which line. Which could be, again, very fun. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch, but teams are going to look to get the ball out quickly against them, and if you don't have anybody there to cover, that defensive line isn't worth anything. Right? That's you, all right. You need players on the back end, even if you're not going to, again, it's fine hey, if you're going to do all Contavi- pass rush. Contavious Street, coverage defender. You Let's need, do this. You need to be at least average. Uncovered. Like, get, like, be at least decent. Don't be the fucking worst covered unit in football. So let's get to the day three plan. So at this point now, the Niners have picked at all of their spots. They have not traded. They have gone straight down the ticket. And they have got a edge in Nick Bosa that we absolutely love. I think he is one of the clearly top two players in this draft. I think the top two players were Williams and Bosa. And I love the fact that we got Nick Bosa. Debo Samuel, another fantastic addition. Third round pick, eh, not great. But that being said, they're still fourth, fifth, sixth. No, uh, no, no fifth. Fourth. fourth there's one more sixth. pick that matters. Yeah. What do you want the Niners to do with their fourth and two sixths? I mean, I sure as hell hope they take corner at fourth. I don't 
give a shit what they do with the sixth round picks. Um, to be honest, uh, I mean they should be throwing as many, uh, you, you know, fucking throw all the stuff at secondary, throw all of the things with it's all like, of these picks. You know I would take means, three right? secondary players. They're not going to take a single one. No, they're not. They're, yeah. they're going to take. They're probably going to take a tackle or a guard. Uh, they might take a linebacker. Let's take a linebacker. Can we get a fucking fullback in here? They like, probably will. Let's get a backup. We need fullback competition in camp. It's going to be camp. Great. Fullback competition. Let's go. Uh, are there any players that are still available that you think to yourself, you know what? Like this might be someone that is a flyer. Maybe. I mean, last year it was a uh, Foye Luicon, right? We were like, Hey, that guy's got an athletic profile. Get after it. Uh, and then the Falcons, which are the, you know, the other Niner team, uh, they went after that player. So, Anyone left that you're like, let's target this human? I think, let me check if he's, we, we kind of went into recording while a lot of the third round was still left. Um, okay, cool. So a, a guy that I would look to if you're going to add another pass rusher potentially, Ron Bingham um, is, is a, uh, again, a small school guy. He, he's come up a couple times, um, Arkansas State, but just, uh, was very, very good, uh, you know, against lower competition, really dominated that, was one of the, I think, the highest graded guy. Like, the only, we mentioned that Bosa was, like, second in a lot of things. Like, Bingham was generally the guy that was there because he was dominating these, you know, shitty teams that he was he was playing uh, week in and week out. So I think that's probably one guy. Uh, I'm sure there's a couple cornerbacks that, that are probably out there. I didn't get a chance to see exactly who's been taken, but... Um, yeah, I think they're, you know, again, the, the depth with secondary was really the key thing as opposed to the top end stuff. So there's, there's probably a few guys out there. Yeah. At this point, give me the best athlete at corner safety. I really don't care. Other than that, I think that's where they need to go. They've clearly targeted wide receiver. They've got edge rusher. Um, I think maybe they could add something along the offensive line that can easily be something where they add, but uh, I think that they're, they're not in a terrible place there. Um, I think they need to add some talent. And if you're going to add talent, add athletes. Because- oh man. Yeah. So I think, uh, corner wise, we still got Amani Awarie uh, available. I think we still got Julian love. Yeah. Julian love is there, which, um, uh, the, all the, the L names you've got Julian love, David, uh, Justin and David, uh, love and long for those sixth round picks. If you want the, uh, the athletic corner, Isaiah Johnson, uh, is going to be out there. I think he's a guy again. We, we mentioned him, I think very, very briefly on the preview podcast, but, uh, basically super high end athlete played cornerback for only two years, transitioned from wide receiver at Houston, um, and is kind of, you know, shown some promising things, but I, I, again, you were talking about a, a potential sixth round pick or a late round pick there. So you're going to uh, have some flaws there. Definitely going to have some flaws, but I think he's somebody to, to keep an eye on. He's got the, the kind of size and length profile that they like as well. So, uh, he's someone I'm sure is on their radar. All right. So we're not going to have a day three recap. I actually think that Kyle Posey editor Niners nation is going to have a recap for day three on this feed. So definitely still stay tuned. Uh, but thanks David. It's been fun. We spent a lot of time, more time than normal, but honestly not that much more time than normal together. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it's about a, a regular amount of time. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was fun. Uh, I mean, again, we got two good players to talk about at least, uh, the third one was pretend mostly didn't happen. Honestly, based on the last couple drafts, two good players is not a bad place to be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. I mean, hopefully they can keep those two on the roster, you know, uh, for, for more than two seasons. Yeah, so. they'll be fine, I think. But uh, Sunday, Battle of the Bastards. We are 
Uh, let's do not ba- battle. Oh, not winter. Battle of Winterfell. Come on, sorry. There we uh, go. Battle of Winterfell. Uh, all right, everyone's dying. Uh, yeah, we we're we've got maybe two minutes. And if you have not seen Game of Thrones and or, or want to stay spoiler stop free, now. stop now. And thank you for listening. As always, go Niners. All right. <laughs> uh, David, hit me. Predictions. Battle of Winterfell. Go. Oh, man. Okay. Jamie's dying. Um, Brienne's Jamie's dying. dying. Uh, Jorah's Bri- dying. Brienne's dying. Grey Worm and Masande are goners. Oh, yeah. They're definitely You goners. never make you, plans. You can't book those those tickets to the Summer Islands. And, yeah. you know, they, they got, like, non-refundable. Like, it's going to be you, fine. No travel one insurance. Way. No travel yeah. insurance for that shit. Uh, uh, you think Arya's going to go? No, not Arya. I'm oh, sorry. I thought you said Arya. My bad. No. Jamie, Brienne. Yeah. Brienne's um, Dora. Tormund. You think Tormund's gone? Uh, yeah, I mean, Jor- it, would make, gone it would make sense. Yeah, I mean, they're not gonna like. I think Tormund Tor- doesn't have a uh, longer. Yeah, Tormund. Time. Tormund no got reason. his glory shot with the mug and the yeah. and the beard and and where's the woman and the giant's and, milk. The giant. That story <laughs> is just it's amazing. Fantastic. But I think he's gone. Jor is clearly gone. Uh, I think anyone in the crypts is at risk. You guys, the crypts are the safest place in Winterfell. They have Hogwarts all the dead bodies. is the safest place you can be, Harry. Hogwarts is the safest. No one has ever broken into Gringotts. Did you know this? No one ever. Like, it's it's impenetrable. Yeah. The crypts are the safest place in Winterfell. Uh, everybody in the crypts is fucked. So I think the only two people that come out of the crypts alive are Tyrion and Arya. I think they're... There's some more. I, I'm interested to see. So one thing, I guess, less prediction, uh, more just interested to see uh, if it happens is Melisandre. She, so she's kind of Coming disappeared. Coming back, yeah. Um, but there's, like, they very clearly need to bring her back at some point. There's been, like, the the stuff with Arya. I'll see you again at some point. She said to Varys, I'll, I'm, I'm going to die in Westeros or die whatever. in this strange country. Yeah, so uh, she's going to show up at some point. I think that could potentially be interesting what she... But show up and do what? I don't know. So... Uh, yeah, I mean, there's. I we don't have time to get it. I think there there is some interesting stuff that could be there for her. Um, is is kind of, uh, you know, sacrificing herself essentially. Um, oh, to, other, to lead to some greater power. Other thing, uh, Theon is gone. Oh, he fucking better be. I'm I'm Fuck over Theon. Theon. Yeah, no redemption story for Theon. Fuck nope, him. Not at all. Um, yeah, who else is? I mean, a lot of people. I I mean, last episode was was great. Uh, it was a a episode to say goodbye to a lot of characters. Yeah, I think um, they I think they basically prune this down, and so at the end of the episode, we are left with uh, Danny, John, Tyrion, Arya, Sansa, and I wouldn't be surprised if Sansa dies. Sansa's gonna die at some point. I think I don't uh, know. I don't know. Maybe not in the show. They've really played Sansa up as being you know more of a power player now. So yeah, uh, we'll, I think we'll that's see. that's the core. I'm How many on. people we got two dragons? Like this is clearly the exit strategy, right? Some people are gonna escape through the crypts. Like there's there's uh, the kind of secret exits through the crypts that that are in there that people are supposed to be able to get out of. But so you're gonna get a few people there. But generally, it's like who can hop on the back of the two dragons that we've got. And get the fuck out of there when when things go bad. And so I think, yeah, you're looking at like what, like a dozen people, maybe. Well, only only Targaryens can ride dragons. Well, only they can be the primary riders. But we saw like with Danny taking people out oh, of there above the yeah, like yeah, there's yeah, they yeah, piled yeah, a bunch yeah. of people on right yep. with with yep, her. Yep, so yep, like yep. yeah, we're gonna get that's how people are gonna get the fuck out of there when things go real south. But uh, it's not gonna be a lot. A lot of people that we've a lot of characters. I think that we. 
Uh, it really loved pods. Oh yeah, pods fucking dead. Pods gone. Sex god pod. R.I.P. <laughs> um, yeah, there's there's a lot of people are gonna die. There are a lot of fun characters to be around. Sex god pod would be a good tight end. <laughs> and on that note, folks, thanks again for tuning in to day two of the draft. And as always, go Niners. Yeah.